Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Poetic Interviews podcast. I'm your host and the creator of the Poetic Interviews project, Aaron Ken. So, with this being the first episode, I'm going to start with a bit of history. How the idea got started, where it stands now, and what plans there are for the future. I came up with the idea of interviewing people through poetry as a way of interviewing James Franco, the actor. I had got in touch with him with an interview request as part of my master's degree, but I wanted to do this in a way that would be different, because I imagine he gets a lot of the same questions asked over and over again in repetitive interviews, and I wanted this one to stand out a bit, to be exciting for him. I'd been reading his poetry collection at the time, directing Herbert White, and I really enjoyed it, so I decided to see if it was possible to interview him through poetry. We did five questions and answers over a period of about four months, and it was a fascinating and really creative experience, and I hope to be able to share that interview with you within the next year. I'm just going to wait for James to finish a project he's working on before I can release it, so that's part of the agreement, and it'll go online, and hopefully we'll get James on this podcast, but I can't promise that at all. I then realised that the idea had legs and this could be something that could form part of a whole project. So I asked my former lecturer and good friend Rupert Lloydell to be involved. Rupert's Q&As were completely different to James's. We did 10 questions and Rupert answered really quick, sometimes in less than an hour. He also began to push back and to question me, creating a sort of creative conflict. This was really invigorating and gave me great hope for the project. I then got in touch with various publishers and presses who suggested poets who would like to take part. Tom Chivers at Penned in the Margins, he was particularly helpful and he gave me a list of poets of his who would fit the project perfectly. I then started the website at the end of September 2016, on the last day, with Q&A 1 from Simon Barraclough and from that it just kept growing. There are now over 70 poets involved, over 180 Q&As on the site and nearly 7,000 people have viewed the site. This is much more than I had ever imagined and I'm really grateful to everybody involved. I don't know where Poetic Interviews is heading now. I've been a bit slow sending questions to participants really as I've been a lot busier, but I'd like to push on with trying to get a best of anthology published and to keep pushing with the website, getting new people. In the time since I began the Poetic Interviews project, I've been through a lot personally as well. I've moved house three times, I've got married to my now wonderful wife Emma, and we had a child, Rue. I've got a master's degree, a PGCE, I started a lecturing job in film, and I donated bone marrow. I also had a verse novella published of Zimzala, titled Subsequent Death, and I had a collaborative book with photographer William Arnold accepted for publication by Guillemot Press, and a poetry pamphlet titled Tertiary Colours accepted for publication by Knives, Forks and Spoons Press. This means that when I'm reading the poems back, I realise how much I've changed in the time since I first wrote them. This is especially the case in today's episode with Daniel Roy Connolly, as our first Q&A was all the way back in March, nearly seven months ago, when I wasn't yet married, but my wife and I were still four months from being parents, and I was on my way to Bristol to donate bone marrow. So, a bit about Daniel. I discovered Daniel through Little Island Press. They're a fantastic press run by Andrew Latimer. If you haven't read any of their books or even heard of them, there will be a link in the description. And I thoroughly recommend you check out their site where they have beautifully presented books and a fantastic range of works. 
When I get the money, I'm going to buy and read David Hayden's collection of short stories, Darker When the Lights On. That one I'm excited for. But Daniel's book, Extravagant Stranger, was released by Little Island, and I managed to be given a PDF of it pre-release. I liked it so much I provided a blurb for the back, and I just knew I had to invite Daniel to take part in poetic interviews. Daniel's website, which I've linked to in the description, describes him as a former British diplomat who left school at 17. He's worked around the globe and holds a first-class honours degree from Columbia University and an MLit and PhD in Shakespeare's Othello from the University of St Andrews. He has acted in and directed theatre in America, the UK, Italy and China, where his 2009 production of David Henry Huang's M. Butterfly was forced to close by the Chinese secret police. His poetry is widely published online and in print, and he was the winner of the 2014 Fermoy International Poetry Festival Prize, a finalist in the 2015 Aesthetica Magazine Creative Writing Prize, and a winner of the 2015 Quirt New Writing Prize for Poetry. I don't know if I pronounced the last one right. His recent work has been published by The North, The Transnational in German, Ink, Sweat and Tears, and is forthcoming in Critical Survey. He earns his bread as a professor of creative writing, English, theatre and public speaking at John Cabot University and the American University of Rome. So, the structure of the interviews in these podcasts is simple. I'm going to read question one, then the participant, Daniel Roquinley in this case, will read answer one, and so forth until our dialogue is over. Usually before this, I'll do a little chat, talk about what the project's up to at the moment, anything that's on my mind, etc. But this section of the podcast will always be the same the questions and answers so without further ado here we go as a quick warning before the poetry starts there are likely to be themes of abuse and assault within these poems and there is also likely to be swearing so if you're put off by any of these things please don't listen skip to the end or uh, take a time when you maybe can listen or just uh, just avoid it thank you question one I am not drowning in waves of delta sleep or pulling myself through the streets still half asleep and begging for jumpers for goalposts. I am not Catholic dreaming. Are you crossed to your bed? I try to sacrifice myself to the owls and the moths while I wait without grace for the world to fade into espresso gold and bring my wife back from the terrors whispering charms, whispering safety, whispering light. Q1, reply. You commence with what you are not. This tells me things about you. Looking at the options, you must be pretty relieved. You won't get more than one crowd catch in a lifetime, Aaron. Don't spill your pint for half the world to see. To think we could have met in a pub for Guinness and chatted cricket or even rugby and never have known the other had compacted things to say about delicate subjects when alone. I know what it is you're talking about. Like you, I get stuff done. A really good way to bring your wife back is the change of season. Trouble is, hate to break it. I don't want to piss all over your spring. You seem a giver of arms who wouldn't deserve it, but cherry blossoms are laced with something nasty this year. Is there an emoji for that? Sometimes I am cross to my bed, but for different reasons. I know what it is you are talking about. 
We've all got holes in our buckets, Aaron. It's all right. Fire away. Tell us what you mean to say. I hope my next response comes clean as this. I also writhe inside a claw of sadness. Question two. Look at the cracks in our family crest, the dent in the shield and the smirk on the lion's face. I was 15 when we played cricket at the reservoir. My younger brother hit the ball into oncoming traffic and I, I think that story made his name shine a little. We were the kids your parents warned you about, swinging goat skulls and skateboards in the street. Our ancestors would have been proud had they stuck around long enough to help us scream hello into the sun. My father's past was always bound to stories of his father joining the IRA or shanking people in Acton or his violence, violence, violent friends. Ball to bat to traffic, an excuse to show that he could bash a guy's brain in as part of a botched robbery if our demons needed him to. Could you unearth your darkest fears and swing them in the town centre if your family needed you to? Can you fight fire with fire for approval? Our shadows were drawn in the back of a notepad, inked in the tones of house fires. I ran into traffic singing homecoming songs as I lost 1989 forever. Q2 reply. A needle in the vein of nostalgia. Don't get stuck. My advice to you, there be head fucks. Did I mention my grandfather was fishmonger to the Cray twins? Our crest boasted three scimitars, which is fine if you are a violent family. It fell on the cat more than once after a wall got punched. Those lazy summer evenings when we played hangman in the garden. That crunchy nose nutting in year 10 from Bloodbath Dawson. Just kid stuff, really. Not organised yet, not exactly as per bacon, what I'd call wild justice. A simple 16-year-old who needed to swing the swede as I was walking past. No rancour flaming in the gut for decades. A proposito, fighting fire with fire has always left me tepid. It's just like more fire, no? At what point do you declare a winner from the inferno? How can you tell whose flames are biggest? How do you separate the ashes out? Asbestos. That's where it's at. Deadly as approval. The webpage I'm currently streaming cricket from offers a link to seven mistakes people make while choosing a basketball. Surely this should be when. My family has needed nothing from me in years. As for the deracination, the hauling to the surface of the rucksack of ruin, the pendulous parade of horrors, the HD quality of the darkness, the gawping remonstration from the few that couldn't give a monkey's cunt from the many, daily out in the open rituals where I come from, each and every one you should visit. I see the way through this, and though I'm no expert, I'd hazard it's less Joe Pesci with a baseball bat and more trying to get the last grain of sugar out the packet with a fingernail because not many people have ever managed that. We're different, as you'll see. There now. Adieu, adieu. Remember me. Question three. Daniel, what are we to do with flat earthers and Holocaust deniers and Illuminati speculators? 
Should we dangle them over the edge of the world and watch as they step into the curve and continue to circumnavigate this globe? Or do we show them the remnants of hate and watch them stutter through invisible threats? My father was a conspiracy theorist. He found hope in David Icke and swore that every shooting was a false flag. Blame the Prime Minister, not the shooter. Every story had to be a cover for something deeper or something more malevolent. As if 30 children dying at the hands of a teenager's rifle wasn't dark enough, so there had to be an electoral scandal to hide behind. I always hoped he would read my report card and decide a C in maths was due to the rising of lizard people in schools. Not because I wasted my time listening to Kanye's family business in class, but that would have meant he hadn't read my report card. Terence Howard promises that this is the last century our children will be taught 1 times 1 equals 1. Terence Howard thinks Einstein and Tesla would lose their minds were they alive to hear of teriology. Terence Howard spends 17 hours a day proving that if 1 times 1 equals 1, that means 2 is of no value because 1 times itself has no effect. If we have one version of one Terence Howard, we apparently have two. And maybe that's the trick. Maybe Terry has managed to clone himself. Maybe the lizard people did mark me down in maps. Maybe this planet drops off somewhere past Australia, and maybe we're just blind to all of this. Though I doubt it. Stay chilled, Daniel. Aaron. Q3. Reply. Illuminati. A bit 1780s, really, when Xavier von Schwack was second in command. And you don't fuck around with a name like that. I'll return to your questions further down the page. Strictly speaking, I'm a left-to-right no-nonsense man, blocks of text as if an asteroid storm, but this one's had me flickering back and forth from the Indian IPL, Sixes, Kanye and cheerleaders, setting me unexpectedly on a path to more conventional form. That's live commentary for you. If only conspiracies pulled their weight. Elvis has spied on Sunset Boulevard, Lord Lucan taking tea at Traitor's Gate, or that whole We Conquered the Moon charade. Conspiracy. Old as Trojan horses, in place to encase the mad online wrath in the presses of the global ship bath. Where would we be without our rough sources? I see the vertical multitudes, for there'd be many nasty fuckers we'd like to get rid of once and for all, with rainbow balloons strung over their heads expanding as they rise up to who gives a shit where, far enough away as outer hemispheres get. I have a heart, like everyone has a heart, and my heart wants all the dark hearts to fuck off completely and irrevocably. In space, they will meet by chance, the Holocaust deniers delighted to point out, at altitude, to passing Jewish scientists, the Earth is not flat, while the is-she-isn't-he brigade is there to keep space hatred oxygenated for all constituents, speculators, Inc., whose balloons might go up as well as down. I owned a lizard I taught to count to two, and who knew the world was round. Paul was his name. One night, Paul and I discussed Terry and decided to cut down a tad on the learning. Next day, Paul packed his bags and abandoned me, as of many others. Question 4. Live commentary is acceptable in certain social situations, such as ordering complicated coffees or buying your weight in vinyl records. 
I didn't see Elvis on Sunset Boulevard, but I'm pretty sure I saw Nicky Six trying to siphon the sunlight into his veins. I have a heart too, and it screams for a beating heart beating a beating heart. If your heart is so dark, Dan, then why don't you paint it in bright colours? Give it some life. Tell it to fuck off in the early hours when the reverb is caressing your pillow a bit too much for sleep. Q4 reply. Have I not given enough looks in Tenerife to colour the drolleries of a fuck-off day? Sick of the effort, TBH. Soft heart. Ran the brushes down to stubble, trying to get the different colours to stick. So I took my heart and tagged it instead. Overnight, indecipherable squirrels covered every invisible inch of me. Dark cores emblazoned now, pal. Might not even be mine anymore. Like when out of the blue you meet someone you really like and they tell you they like you too. You don't see that every day. Tear into the tub of salsa. Knead the finest Roman dough. Cherish Nonna's smoked scamorza. Raise a glass of Prosecco. I'm just kidding with you. I'll refrain. Remember that hole in my bucket? It's all that's left. Nothing will come of nothing. Speak again. Question five. There was a hole in my bucket, but I filled it with Damien Hurst's giant capsules and Francis Bacon's refusal to be knighted. Let's not age ourselves. Let's let our art age us. Do you believe every invisible inch of you is really covered? Or is that just a metaphor for the way we let each other read our skin? This work is my book for you, Daniel, to devour. Keep your fuck-off days. Spread them like old tools across the garage and set the chalk paint alight. At least then we'll have a canvas. Q5 reply. May rain and a ventino chill tonight, masculine-looking clouds, taut, razor-edged in the city with an excess of semen sitting in its ballparks. Thought I'd ease you in via the comfy chair. Dear heart, accepting your work, I do, I do, with open arms, would be more decorous than to devour, more Daniel, I suppose, I'd be the last to ask. Oh. No one did. There's a juice I need off my chest. I hope you don't mind being exploited thus. A, I walked past a student who said, I like my cuisine like my soiree. Alt. Two, can you think of something petitionable? Because I feel one coming on. I hate isolation. There. Before I forget, Officer Fukowski dropped by. I told her not tonight. I do believe every invisible inch of me is really covered with a metaphor to be read whatever the weather, as inkings of polysimous seeds, a body works of exogenous ambiguities. I doubt I'm alone. What would I know about wanting to shove Damien Hurst's skull up his unjelloed arse, you ask? By God, I think it would give the country the Philip it so badly needs. Now there's a metaphor that's been waiting to detach itself from my unruly innards, which are now plain tripe.
I've opened up a folder, Dialogical Warfare, which houses our, our banditry of epistolitarian estimizations, marching like penguins or ants or wobbly armies towards a brighter day or possibly a pamphlet. Actually, this little last bit isn't true. I'm only Fakowski with your head. Question six. Daniel, you're all food without the recipe. How do I put these pieces together? Or am I even supposed to? Your anthropomorphized letters ring true to my mandula and See, I can do italics too. I can cook up meals and give you a spoon to eat the waste with. I love it because I feel like I'm in your house in Rome, drinking stereotypes and eating cliches. I'll have espresso and pizza. You'll have a manuscript and two types of Prosecco. There are bees at the window, Daniel, and we're being told to save them. But how can we do that without wearing some sort of I love bees bracelet? I think it's probably time we stopped bullshitting and actually spoke. I'm Aaron. I pissed the bed until I was 12 when a nurse fitted an alarm to my pants that would go off if I began peeing at night. It worked within a week, and the nurses were so happy that they brought me tickets to a theme park. The next day, my mum gave those tickets away. Q6. Reply. I'm not one to keep things narrow. I'm not here not to be known. I piss myself on the 64 bus to the Vatican after an espresso. Big deal to the giallo Rossi bees. We can sit side by side at my desk in Casaletto and watch the lot of them cluster on the panes. Swarm enough here. 28 degrees this evening. I'll have some bracelets run up. The bees will receive their full deserve. Bromance or what? You're right. When I was 15, my mother accompanied me to the paediatrician's office to find out why I wasn't developing. Watch me undress the cow, lie on the stretcher bed, him play with my balls and ping my virgin cock up and down in manual a few times without wearing gloves. Egon, Sheila, take a, Sheila, take a bow. I can't imagine your mum. That's not one you walk away from, sight unseen. That's not one I've thought of since I was 15. I nearly almost fucking hate you for that. I can't because you are Aaron and like Daniela. Question seven. Your doctor sounds a lot like my submarine chief, the one who pressed me hydraulically and opened my valves. I had nowhere to go, Daniel. Couldn't sit with you in Casaletto or give a confession somewhere near the Vatican while hoping I don't dream of his touch. All grease, no breath. Where was my plane ticket to visit you? I still wake up and see his hands in my pants and feel the vice on my dick and feel the pain in trying to tell somebody. You know who I told? My wife. Three weeks after I met her. Three years after it happened. Now, every Thursday, while you piss yourself from the number 64, bladder full of espresso, I sit with a peppermint tea and a room full of men as we try to move on. And I struggle to tell them about that time when I was eight and the camera flashed while I posed on the stairs. Q7. Reply. I want to say, oh, you poor fucker. But as soon as we do that, we're fucked. Let's always hope it's a passing shower. Never let hands settle for more than one hour. 
a certain seepage of past malfeasance, yes, occasionally inundates the day, like the time Uncle Chuckle bounced me too close on his knee, while Auntie Garter refused every flavour of wafer at tea. My fingertips entering a turd in a pair of underwear, infant school, blur. The boy next to me, when he hung them up, he had red hair, Lloyd something, very quiet. Oh, you poor fucker. Pushed down the stairs at 14, broken ankle during break. Danny rushed overhead to the next door A&E like a scene out of Gandhi. All boys' grammar. You know how it is. Couldn't get the lick of it personally. I am etiolated without every single instance, Aaron. There we go. Talk to the flowers, Daniel. It says nothing when you think of China. I've no plans to change my posture on you. I need to be sure when they end, my nightmares are true, that the devil in white down the road really lives for hate. We have found a way to log them. Anima Kizitor. All roads bleed to Rome, mate. Question eight. Maybe you'd be fucked, Daniel, but I'd be fucking furious if I had to share a seat next to Vin Diesel's ego in a passing shower on the edge of England and Scotland. When I talk to flowers, I speak only of Bougainvillea and Begonia, flowers I hear hum the morning in check when the deaf watch beetle has ground itself into cinnamon. If all roads bleed to Rome, what shape did roads in Rome take? I've got veins in the back of my hand with more dexterity than roadmaps. Tulips on each knuckle wears melted isotopes. We live large and die in outer space, counting the miles to Saturn's outer rings and watching in wasted splendour as we pass Anthe and realise the whole thing is just a big, dusty mess. Q8, reply. Trouble is, dust settles for less than it should. Might be insecurity or a licorice-flavoured wood that went round back in black and white. Diesel on Hadrian's wall. There's a line to punch out the lights of mid-sentence. Daffodils are good for chat and taste like lettuce. Let us pray. Dear Rome, your roads are shit. We've had some fine minds working to metaphorise your randomness, but shit is the absolute best I can come up with for it. Ante and Cleopatra, grab a load of those satellites colliding. We won't be left wondering. No, sir. A bit frivolous, this, I know. Summer licks the heat of mongering dry. Try this before outbro. If I'm troubled by every folding of your skirt, am I guilty of every male-inflicted hurt? Is a line Paddy McAloon beat me to 30 years ago. When I say beat me to, I mean different ballpark. His arena, grandiloquent, touched in the bleachers by glittery numinousness. Always love Sprout. Different sport altogether, if you like. Mine's more an empty squash court. <laughs> Seeing Paddy and me in competition. <laughs> Question nine. Daffodils taste like lettuce. Let us pray. Let us pray. I like what you did there, Dan. Can I call you Dan? I've punched sentences out like I've punched holes through contracts that were more handcuffed than handshake. I believe in the written word when it is free to give a phrase or nod to a variety of different pages and presses and people. I think I was going to say people. 
It might have been P-Pod or PTSD or puff. Regardless, a good day always starts with a P. Q9, reply. Precisely. I'll not beat around the puff of the bush. I've got something direct for you, Aaron. A free nod, a chance phrase for different people. Or me. You may use any, Aaron. We'll answer. They come chronologically. Pickle. Booby eyes. Danny dot eyes. Danny, Danny, Dan, Dan. Cauliflower ears. Cauliflower ears. Concord nose. Concord nose. Dog shit, Dan. Dandy, Dan. Danny LaRue. Danny the Pranny. Ditto, Dan. Dan Connelly. Daniel Spaniel. Double O, Dan. Don Cornelio. Don Dandy Dando. Danny Ruloy Connery. Danny Cantley. Don Cannelloni. King Connolly. King Connolly. King Connolly. Question 10. We're too short of a dozen, Pickle, and I still don't know what we've learnt. Can we name each other's childhood pets, our first crushes, mother's maiden names, bank account details, last five addresses? I guess I'm just asking for some way to scan you, Double O Dan. Q10 reply. For every scan, Soraya sunflowers sway until the day after tomorrow. Your first crush is Cromwell. So deep your love for that rat, so wildly taken by Cromwell's disdain for art. Die, poetry. You volunteer pecuniary information. Next thing, a golden wheel's dragged upright on posh sawdust, stationed through damasked arches, cut from monumental granite. You're five grand lighter, in a pickle. No matter. That rat tears your heartstrings, the patter of tiny feet. Tic-tac. Road, Muse, Close, Drive, Letsby Avenue, Number 45, Upstairs, Start There, Mother's Maiden Names, Thrilled in the Rank Sweat of Encimed Beds, Spill the Beans, Mother of Godzilla and Lonely Mummer of Don Cannelloni, Cromwell the Rat's taking us for a ride, so why can't we two know two? There you go. That's the first series of questions and answers. I don't want to spend time here trying to analyse what we said or what we meant, as I think that's a discussion we can have on Twitter, over email or in the comments. And that's definitely a discussion that I want to have. So you can tweet me or Dan. Dan is at doccon50, D-O-C-C-O-N-5-0. And you can tweet me, I'm Godzilla Kent. Or you can use the Poetic Interviews Twitter account, Poetic Interview, not Poetic Interview. Twitter didn't give me enough letters to use poetic interviews. You can also email me on aaronkent1989 at gmail.com. All the details are in the description, including the spelling of Aaron. A lot of people get wrong. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then please share it and tweet about it and tell a friend about it. I can only keep doing this if there is enough interest in it. I run the whole project by myself, and it takes up a lot of time and money. So every little bit of help would be massively appreciated, even if it is just a tweet. You can also donate on the Poetic Interviews website if you're able to, even if it is just the price of a cup of coffee. My aim is to be able to lose the WordPress bit out of the URL, and that costs £30 a year. 
Thank you to Dr. Lakata for the music to this episode. Thank you to my wife, Emma Kennedy, for her unconditional support. And thank you to my daughter, Rue Francis Scout Kennedy, for being absolutely perfect. Of course, a big thanks to Daniel Will Connolly for his answers, and to Andrew Latimer for putting me in touch. Um, thank you to everybody who has shared, supported, or read poetic interviews. You all rock. And to you, Mark Willoughby, Kanye West is better than the Beatles.